On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irukti yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder echor inuik kart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara igornamion on kestchen echol. Vientalam aginam griv orkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to the Throw-In Independent.ie's GA podcast. I'm Will Slattery and we have another great show lined up for you today. A little later on we'll cover all the weekend's hurling action, but first it's time for football. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Herald GA correspondent Connor McKeown and Irish Independent GA correspondent Dunica Boyle. And Connor, we'll start off with, I guess, the story of not only the last weekend, but I guess the GA summer so far. Newbridge or nowhere, Kildare versus Mayo in the All-Ireland qualifiers at St. Connets Park. And before we get to maybe what it means for Mayo now that they've been defeated or, or Kildare and their good win, what was the atmosphere like in Newbridge? Did it live up to the hype? Well, uh, there was a few of us went down early in the day because we expected it to be a bit of a logistical nightmare with regards getting you know press seats and everything else, and also to watch the also to watch the the France Argentina game in a local pub, and uh, we were kind of the first people in the town. Um, and as we were sitting there, there was, <laughs> was a Mayo man came in with a couple of kids, and he says. Uh, lads um, is there anybody selling tickets and we all just went quiet and we were like this is the start of it now here comes the trouble but of course there was no trouble whatsoever and uh, when we went over to the ground um, I was sitting beside a, a local journalist from Kildare and he had moved three tickets earlier on in the day that he just happened to come across and there seemed to be no shortage of tickets so I think all the fears of any sort of animosity wherever that came from I think people that didn't have tickets were smart enough to stay away from the game um, like why would you travel for Mayo oh if you didn't if you caught in traffic and all that yeah. no, it didn't buy that for a minute it didn't buy it at all but uh, no it was weird the atmosphere because like St. Connell's Park it, it can hold far bigger than 8,200 mm. but because apparently there was 16,000 at a qualifier yeah, yeah. so <laughs> like, like 10 minutes before throwing it felt like the ground was only three quarters full and there wasn't much of an atmosphere uh, and we had a kind of a comical enough kind of a prelude to it when uh, there's a local tenor Peter I can't remember his name uh, he came out and he, he was singing, uh, he was supposed to, cr- like a bit of a crooner, and he was singing um, local Kildare songs, but the microphone wasn't working, so it came across as some sort of, sca- like it, it was kind of a bizarre thing that focused everyone's mind, but uh, it, the atmosphere didn't get going until the ball was thrown in at all, um, and it was then that you knew, like, it, like it, after that it was really, really good, as those small 
packed venues tend to be. But um, like I think it was more a case of the crowd responding to the football rather than the other way around. You know, the idea that Kildare would be the team would be kind of elevated by their their ravenous support who are reunited with their tra- team because of their little insurrection last week against Crow Park. I don't think that really happened. I think it was the other way around. And, um, you know, I remember we interviewed a couple of the Kildare players after the match. Uh, and we interviewed Rowley Sweeney, the, the selector. And, you know, we said, well, you know... How he's m- in ridiculous shape. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were nearly asking him how, how did he play in the match. But he was saying that... Uh, we said, like, how much did, did the crowd feed off the, you know, the whole issue about the venue and all the rest of it and he says well it actually got them behind us because you know if it hadn't been for that if it hadn't been for the row over the venue um, you know they mightn't have been so ravenously behind us because they didn't really trust us like you know and in a year when they lost every match in the league and lost to Carlo in the first round of Leinster could you blame them so um, regardless of what happens from here on there Keane O'Neill is the manager of the year because like <laughs> if that match was played anywhere else Mayo would have won the game there's no doubt about that whatsoever so in uh, you know in having their little uh, in having their little uprising and staging the game there um, you know Kildare won and like you know if, if Mayo won on Sunday or if Mayo won on Saturday you know, there's none of the beaten provincial finalists you'd have expected. You'd expect to beat Mayo in the next round, so Mayo be into the Super Eight. So that little uh, that little stand and their, their show of defiance to get the game moved to Newbridge has changed the the landscape of the championship completely. Yeah, well, Mayo and Stephen Rogers and the players must be cursing this whole kind of circus that went on. Do you agree? Did, did it kind of cost them their championship place? You think? Um, well, uh, funny. Um, I was in the office reasonably early this morning, and there was a phone call you from. That, you weren't that early. <laughs> well, earlyish. <laughs> before noon, uh, and I got a phone call from a man from Clean into the sports desk, and he uh, I won't give his name now, but he he ba- he said that basically we showed some backbone, and that probably summed up what what Connor's talking about there that for the people got behind them because they stood up to the fixture decision first of all, and then to double down and to deliver uh, a result as well. So. Um, whether whether Mayo would have won elsewhere, so we have to take Connor's word for that. Like he was there. Um, but the other thing as well, like Kildare won one of their last eleven games in Crow Park, and that was against Wexford two years ago when they beat them eight seven or nine six or something like that. So yeah, okay. Like I mean, that's the alternative. Like if it was in Croker, like Mayo, like their their misery and their woe in Crow Park is confined to All Ireland finals. I really, like. I did think they were vulnerable now. Mayo going into that, I, I didn't know whether Kildare were the team to knock them off their perch, but I did think they were vulnerable with Tom Parsons gone, Seamus O'Shea gone. Lee Keegan not long back from a very serious shoulder operation. Like, they had a, a bit of a patched up look about them because Jim O'Connor was midfield, wasn't he? Yeah, so he was very good, though. He was very, you know, he was very good, but, you know, when Jim O'Connor was young, he was exhaustion towards the end. Yeah, he actually, he, I'd say it was Jim O'Connor's best game for, for Mayo for two or three years. He was really, really excellent because for all the. Uh, for all the predictions that they'd struggle in midfield, actually, Dermot O'Connor and Stephen Cohn were excellent in midfield. The remarkable thing about it from Kildare's point of view was that they were level at half-time and um, Mayo had won almost every one of their own kickouts, and they'd put severe pressure on um, Kildare. They turned over a huge amount of Kildare's kickouts, forced them to kick into midfield, and uh, Aidan O'Shea was catching ball completely unopposed. So it goes to show you, after possession, Kildare were far more productive in the first half. But, like... You know, they finished the thing off, but like the funny thing about it is, for all the fact that Kildare lost seven games in the league, like they got to the point where that they were in with two minutes to go last Saturday on four occasions during the league and just didn't finish it off. Uh, and for whatever reason, um, they managed to finish it off on Saturday night. Like all their subs made a difference. Like Niall Kelly came on 
and uh, he had a good goal chance where if he'd rounded the keeper the game was over and he took a point but he also emptied Aidan O'Shea for a turnover like the smallest man on the pitch mm. absolutely emptied him for a turnover Was that when Aidan O'Shea charged? Yeah, into the, that, was, yeah. that was classic Aidan O'Shea like taking on a yeah. man And, and Cr- Chris Healy and David Slattery two fellas with pace they came on and they they moved the ball 60 metres just by running along the left touch line and gave it to another man without turning it over at a point in the game when that was a really important thing to do. But as well as that, Kildare got a squeeze on Mayo's kickouts in a big way in the second half. Like Kevin Feely wasn't fit, so he spent most of the game in a full forward, but he went out to midfield for the kickouts because when he gets up in the air, there's actually nobody nobody to rival him at all. But um, yeah, like it was like for all the talk about Mayo's options and being so so reliant on such a core of players like in the 68 minute of that game Mayo had only made two substitutions and it was on a baking hot evening and their yeah. second game in the week so it goes to show you how deep into their, into their squad they had to go and, and how little and, depth and that, the that was Conor Loftus who's seen plenty of game time yeah. uh, over the last couple of years but yeah like but that, that was always I suppose the thing about Mayo wasn't it that they you know they never quite even look at the All-Ireland final last year they couldn't quite match Dublin brought on Jim O'Connolly you know I mean he was instrumental in winning the game and uh, it seemed to be the, the same on Saturday night like they um there's been a lot of sort of obituary style things written about them and, you know, it, to some extent it, it, it might be fair enough. Um, but, you know, you're still going to have, of that team that started the other night, you're still going to have 12 next year, are you? So, you know, and... and well, uh, any of them retired, do you think? Like, well, like Andy Moran played well in that game. You but know, David why Clark would he and, go? David Clark and Andy Moran are both 35 in November. Yeah. It's so, yeah, that's old, but so they've Keith Higgins is the other one too that yeah, people Keith Higgins will talk and about. Boyle as well. And Colin Boyle, possibly. maybe, yeah. No, but I don't know whether any of them will go. But but I think just as a team, like they they ran out of road a small bit. Like that's the third year in a row that they lost in Connacht, um, and they just couldn't keep doing it. They couldn't keep coming back the way they were. Like eventually, it's just got to wear you down psychologically as much as anything else. And I think there's no doubt about it that they will regenerate. They'll come back with Killian O'Connor and Aidan O'Shea. Um, Paddy Dorkin with Paddy brilliant Dorkin, yeah, four so points yeah, from play for wing back yeah. and Dermot O'Connor um, is a brilliant footballer as well who, as we said had a brilliant game the other night but I think that it's probably necessary for the team to to have some sort of natural erosion or at least a bit of a change up um, because you know in as much as at their peak you know they, they, they stared deep into Dublin's eyes and almost turned them over um, I think you know Saturday night probably showed up their shortcomings that they have in terms of their squad depth. They, they're vulnerable, well not vulnerable, but I suppose teams like Mayo would suit Kildare in the same way that Mayo bring the best out of Dublin and bring them to their knees. I think the kind of team that Kildare are, big, hard-running, physical side, probably not what Mayo needed at this particular point in the thing. You know, they're still trying to find their feet a little bit. They're trying to learn on the hoof and, and you know find our best team and find a bit of form and all that and I just think Kildare were the were the wrong team with the, the, the with a bit of a cause behind them and, and that just done them eventually. I, I'm gonna say something really unoriginal here, but it's as true now as it ever yeah. was. They're one they are abs- they need one f- more fella who will score a bit more. Like they can't Killian O'Connor had to go out to play essentially a playmaker slash centre half forward role to try and influence the game. But there were so many bodies around there, really all he was doing was getting the ball and moving it on to a runner coming from deep. Um, like Jason Doherty scored a couple of points Andy Moran scored a couple of points in a free but they just need another f- guy they need another scorer um, and they just haven't been able to 
they haven't really been able to to establish that for whatever reason. You know, they won in All Ireland. Yeah, they were at oh. the best with that running game, weren't they? Like you know, with that half back do. line. You know, be it whoever might be in a given day it could be Keith Higgins, Lee Keegan. Oh, Jerk can kick four points. Yeah. yeah, but I suppose the, the responsibility for that has shifted a little bit onto him now because I suppose Higgins is maybe a little bit older. Colin Boyle is a little bit older. They're all a little bit. So maybe they're giving someone else the younger guy, letting them do some of that. And he's developed actually his point taking in the last over the last eighteen months or so looks to have come on. Hugely, but uh, like I, I, I still think like next year that there will be like they're not going to go off the, the like you're reading some of the stuff this morning, you think that's it, like they're going to disband as a county and they won't be back. They're not going to go off the edge of a cliff, but I do agree with Connor that maybe there will be a slight change in emphasis, maybe a slight change in who's taking more responsibility. Um, and uh, but I, I still think there'll be a big team. Do, in the do you think they might be into the territory of maybe Tyrone at the start of this decade or Donegal? when Jim McGuinness left, when they still have a lot of quality players, but some of their leaders are, are quite old or retired, and while they're good enough to maybe win a provincial title or get to the All-Ireland Series, that the window was maybe closed on their All-Ireland chances? Well, this time last year, I would have said no. I think like there was another, I thought there was another go with them. I actually thought that they'd find their way back to the Super 8s this year. This sort of seems like, it. this feels more like the end than it ever has before for, for a lot of them now but it, as we say like Aidan O'Shea there's still loads left in him Killian O'Connor still loads left in him so maybe there's a couple of senior fellas in that panel who, who might think long and hard about the winter but like I think that if uh, if the war to stay on I don't think either Stephen Rashford if he was the, if he's the manager next year or Mayo supporters would have a major issue that if, if those fellas returned on mass, it might suit them too. Just to take like if they were if they weren't going to make the All Ireland final this year, better off going out now than actually going through the Super Eights. You know, player clubs so fairly on in the year, give fellas a longer break and see what because like I don't know how you know like it's one of the great feats of of uh, of sports psychology that Mayo get out and fill their team in the first round of the league every year after going through the winter that they have done after repeatedly getting to All-Ireland Finals and lose. And maybe it'd be better that if they weren't fully on their game this year, you know, if Lee Keegan hadn't been back to full form without the two lads who were injured, the two midfielders, Seamus O'Shea and Tom Parsons, maybe they're as well to go out now than if they had made an All-Ireland semi-final even. I know that probably seems a bit kind of, a bit, uh, a, a bit of a, a, a leap of faith. There might be something in that, like, because they do the way they play even and everything and, and because of the even the psychological and emotional toll that they always say that it's not there but it, like it must be it just must be on some level um, that I, I think there's you know that if instead of putting themselves through the ringer again and maybe getting to an All-Ireland semi-final after three really hard games in the Super 8s that maybe to conserve whatever bit of energy there is in the try and we build and, and lick their wounds and, and do, another thing do it away from the spotlight this winter you know what I mean like uh, last year we were talking about that that All Ireland final last year felt like a gut punch for me, and I don't like. I was looking at them, and I said, "Geez, this this would be so hard to come back from." So maybe if they got the chance to do that and not be asked about, you know, another harrowing loss to Dublin in an All Ireland final or whoever it may be, maybe that maybe that will suit them a little bit. Do you think Stephen Rochard will come back for another year? Does I? There's been kind of a few murmurings that James Horan might come back in and take over. I don't know about Horan, but I got the feeling from Stephen Rashford now he has two more years to run on his deal or whatever the agreement he has with the with the Mayo County Board. But I just got the feeling from him the other night that he might be he might be out of energy for it. Um, like he's obviously invested a lot in the last three years and gone to two All Ireland finals. Um, and I think there's probably a bit more of a there's a bit more of a rebuilding job to get Mayo back on the pitch competitive next year than it has been after each of the last two. Um, so I suppose it will just depend on his appetite and his energy to do it. I don't think anybody would be 
willing willing him out of the job or anything like that. But I think, um, yeah, it, it just it has to take its toll. It has to take its toll. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way if that's not too boring an answer. <laughs> <laughs> and just looking at some of the other qualifier results, uh, okay, we have Monaghan, who had a fairly handy path, I guess, back into round four. They beat Leitrim after already beating Waterford. He had Armagh's outrageous comeback against Clare. You know, four points down towards injury time they end up winning by I think three or four points and then Tyrone versus Cavan which I caught on television and wasn't the most exciting game I've seen in fact it was probably the worst game I've seen in the championship so far any of those stick out to you more than others? Well uh, Monaghan have been sort of lucky as you say with, with the draw I think it's it's kind of suited them to sort of um, I think after that Fermanagh game they were probably very bruised by that and if they had to get maybe a different draw over the course of the few rounds that maybe the they might have uh, felt like there was too long a way to come back, but they've got decent draws and, and now they're within a game of the Super 8. Tyrone as well. Like You would expect those Division 1 teams to be operating at too, too good, an established Division 1 team, to be operating at too high a level to get caught by someone, you know, like you say, they got Leitrim, Monaghan got Leitrim yesterday. Uh, and Tyrone, Monaghan have had a, just, they've had a fair run of uh, qualifier draws over the last two years. They were in... Wexford and Carlow last year. This year they've been in Leitrim and Wicklow. Was it Leitrim uh, and Wicklow? Waterford. Or Waterford, yeah. yeah. And even the year before that, they got Longford, which isn't the toughest draw. I know they were beaten, <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, those teams, I think, have are streetwise enough to pick their way through a qualifier and come out at the top. So, uh, like, Tyrone, if if they can come back to their best, like, going up to Healy Park for a Super 8 game, like, that would be hot and heavy now. That would be really hot. And I know Monaghan beat them there this year, but um, I, I think... Uh, I, I'd like to see more of the better teams get into the Super 8s because I think the Super 8s could be brilliant but we need the right teams in it. Yeah, so the draw, just for people who aren't aware, we have Leash versus Monaghan, Fermanagh versus Kildare, Ross Common, Armand, Cork, Tyrone in round four, Connor. And just looking at those, it does appear that there's a fairly set path for each of the teams. Yeah, the, big, the one that's really interesting, I think, is Tyrone and Cork because um, the winner will host Dublin in the Super 8s, which is... Which is uh, both of those ties would be pretty exciting. Well, yeah, I think Cork, like you know, Cork would be the easier one for Dublin, not just because they're not as good a team. I think the whole logistics of going to Cork and housing supporters and everything else, whereas like Healy Park is, you know, fairly. If you're thinking about it before the start of the year, like where would be the most kind of hostile places for Dublin to go? I would have picked Healy Park and Castlebar probably as being the two. So there's a fair chance of that one coming to pass. And like Cork were so poor against Kerry a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's hard to imagine them kind of raising the gallop for being even sort of, you know, tactically refined enough to pick apart a team like Tyrone because it takes an awful lot of thought as much as an, as effort, which is why I, I would have thought the Killer are actually a bit vulnerable now as well playing for Mana because like the last time they played a team that plays a version of the style Fermanagh does was Carlo earlier on in the year uh, and they were well beaten that day. So, um, like, it'll be interesting because when you, when you play against those teams, you know, there's an awful lot of preparation and patience that kind of goes into it whereas Kildare benefited in a big way Sunday night like Mayo were a big step up in class but I think they played a style that Kildare can potentially be good against um, and and they'll have a very very different game when they play for Manor. 
Just a word on Armad, Donica. It's Kieran McGinney's tenth season as a manager, and he's aiming for his seventh All Ireland quarter final in ten seasons with Kildare and Armagh. That's a pretty good record. Yeah, his, his qualifier record is extraordinary, and he really got Kildare motoring with that. Um, his provincial record is brutal. Uh, yeah, <laughs> his, I neglected to no, mention that. No, no win in four years. <laughs> but it's remarkable also, how it? how diametrically opposed the two are. Like, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. similar in Kildare. Like yeah. they had some very poor losses. It, it is very strange, but like the way they dug that game out, like there's probably not a better way to win a championship match than. You know, come from was it? What did he get in the end? One five, whatever. Yeah, reply yeah, towards yeah. the end, and uh, you know, and, and against Clare team who were really, really good side. Now they were admittedly unlucky by the end of the game. I think that their third choice keeper in goals, uh, and th- it looked like on the highlights last night that they the got picked apart on, on kickouts at that stage. And you know, uh, I kind of fancied Clare to win that one, but um, uh, the fact that they are going in now and they they've they've Ross Common, and that's a free shot for them in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? That's Division One team who were in a Connacht final and were very competitive in a Connacht final against one of the form teams in the country in Galway. So if you're Armagh, you're thinking, right, lads, we can go and give this a proper. They did, they did the exact same thing to Kildare last year. Like Kildare came out of that Leinster final. I think they lost to Dublin by nine points, but they gave it a fair rattle. Um, and I think most people were pretty upbeat about Kildare's chances, and Armagh beat them in Crow Park. So. Yeah, like I think Armagh are one of the great mysteries of football because they are a much better team than their their provincial record has shown over the last five years. And just to go through the potential Super Eights groups, then we have Dublin, Donegal, Corker, Tyrone, and Roscommon or Armagh, and then on the other one we've Kerry, Galway, Leisure, Monaghan, and Fermanagh and Kildare. Probably the Dublin Donegal group looks to be a bit tougher. Um. Yeah. Well, the, the Donegal. I suppose the the, the Paddy McBrady news was, was a hammer blow for them. Um. But I still think they should have enough. They if if they're as good as we think they are. Certainly, I think they are. I think they will get through that. Probably can't see them beating, um, Dublin in Crow Park. Uh, in the first, that's the first weekend, isn't it? Mm. I can't probably can't see that happening, particularly without McBrady, who was so good in the league against Dublin earlier this year. Um, but I still think they can pick up enough along the way to get through it. Um, Where do you weigh in on that kind of the home advantage issue? People have been talking about <laughs> Dublin getting two games in Croke Park. Just the, 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 the two views on it, like Dublin people's views and you know the outsiders' view, are sort of so diametrically opposed, and, and neither can see the worth in the other side's argument like they even acknowledge the fact that it exists so like you know it, it's a home venue for Dublin call it what you want call it a home of the GA. it's a home venue for Dublin to play your league matches there it's a home venue the other side of the coin is where else would you put them like you know they are the biggest support they, that's where that's where the games are set to be played that's where it's going to be played according to rule so um, you know you can't have it everywhere do you know what I mean so I I, I I can see both arguments for it, but I don't for a minute think that Jim Gavin will take up Jim McGuinness on a suggestion and mm-hmm. saying, right, lads, we'll go to Clonus Do or something like this. Like, the thing about that is, as well, like this was voted on by Congress, and every county had delegates at Congress when it was being voted on. But like all these decisions that are taken, like they only become an issue yeah, when absolutely. they become an issue. No more than off lead, getting relegated like, and from So the people order. blame yeah. in Crow Park about that. That's a disgrace here, giving the Dubs home advantage and everything else. And they're sitting there going, well, hang on, everybody was there at Congress when this decision was taken by the entirety of the GAA. And like the other thing now as well is like the All-Ireland quarterfinals in football, they don't exist anymore. There were four games in Crow Park. And now we're talking about taking one of the Super 8 games out of there. Like other than, you know, nobody wants to play in Crow Park anymore. Everyone wants home advantage the whole time. So I think like the Super 8s this year will be a kind of trial run. Trial run. run. Yeah. Um, but I think it's far too late in the day like they can't just keep making it up as they go along every week because somebody else. Oh no! Else oh, they can. Well, <laughs> they have proven that they can. But like for the for one of those games, for one of Dublin's games to be taken out of Crow Park, either their home game or the designated Crow Park game with Donegal, it would mean that the GA would have to take the less lucrative and more 
um, complex this, option and it's and it's very unlikely. That's the other side of the coin too is that like while we're all giving out about this sort of stuff, the same crowd and the same units um, will be going to Crow Park next year looking for money for funding for teams for floodlights, pitches, whatever they might be building. And there, if if and when, if the doves were moved out of, um, uh, moved out of, there w- would be a significant revenue hit there. So like, you have to be able to see both sides of the coin. And that's, that's people don't think it's significant now, but no more than the Super 8s thing being an issue and Dublin and Crow Park being an issue now, it might be an issue next year when we go, well, hang on a minute, we were promised X amount of money and we're only getting half of what we were promised. And that's the other side of the coin. So yeah, look, I can see it. I, I'd like to see Dublin moved out for the, purely to make it more interesting. Mm. Um, I think that in, you know... Be you don't think the two games is inherently unfair? Like two home games. Well, like it, 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 it. I can see why it's unfair, but you're going to have a GAA HQ somewhere, and it's in. It just happens to be in Dublin. Now, like when I remember when Mead were competitive and good when I was growing up, everyone said Mead loved playing in Crow Park, and they did because they won things there. You know, so you know people are just very quick to jump from one side to the other. You have to acknowledge reality is a thing. The biggest stadium happens to be in Dublin. That's where we play all of our most important matches. And we're going to have an interesting uh, kind of situation in the w- first weekend of the Super 8 because the two All-Ireland hurling quarterfinals are fixed for that weekend as well. It's going to be a very... It's one of those annoying schedule things where it's, it's all coming at once and we're going to have a situation where they're going to probably be throwing in at the same time or there'll be some games throwing in at the same time that we won't all get to see. Yeah, I would envisage massive... Not ma- massive, but significant scheduling changes next year because th- like there are certain anomalies that just don't make sense. The one that I can't really get my head around is why the provincial champions are playing each other first. Like the row yeah. over home venue with Dublin, I don't think would have happened if it had been the situation that the provincial champions had had their home game first. Because Donegal are now in the situation that by having won the most competitive province, they have to play Dublin and Crow Park and then they have to go away in their second game and finish with a home game and by the time they play their home game they could be out of it so yeah. uh, that doesn't make sense to me like the seeds as they, as it were are the provincial I, champions I in think this you have case, to forgive have a certain amount of that don't you like because this was so new and the thing had been ah, overhauled totally, to yeah, such yeah. an extent that there was going to be as they said themselves at the start look there's going to be teething issues things we thought were going to work really well aren't going to work and things that we had no idea how they were going to go are going to be turned out to be brilliant so I think you're going to have to you'll have to forgive that in year one of what is a, a three year plan are we expecting it to be as exciting as the hurling round robin was yeah absolutely yeah yeah i think nobody knew what to expect from the hurling um and i suppose the thing about the provincial championships and hurling particularly in the in the early like the first few games in, in the hurling were, were absolutely exceptional but i think that's because there's still a safety net there like teams can chase again they can go after it um and that's why we got such but we, we also had a situation in hurling whereby a lot of the teams particularly in munster were all of a very very comparable standard um, but I, I think we'll have great moments in the Super 8s rather than sort of a uniformly you know four no, classics yeah, every weekend I can't see that happening it's not as it's not as evenly spread as no. the Munster Hurling Championship like the, the teams are not at that like you're at the top end you're going to have Dublin and you're going to have the A team if it ever gets into uh, it there might be a pretty big gap between those two teams so look it's uh, it's, it's I think it'll be I think it'll be really exciting I think the best thing about it is actually it used to be the case that from the August bank holiday weekend effectively that journalists weren't travelling anymore everything was in Crow Park and that was it until the All-Ireland final I think the best thing about it is that you're going to have big games of significance in Galway Killarney Crow Park 
so you're saying it's good for your expense? The mileage, that's <laughs> what I was saying. Hang on. Have you seen the mileage in here? <laughs> no, but I think the fact, like, if you go back to Newbridge and the sense of occasion now and everything that was down there and Ennis with Claire playing there and all these things, I think I think they're going to be, I think that's yeah, going to well, be Well, like excellent. Dublin and Healy Park will be... That'll be brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and it'll be edgy as well, like, that'll be, and it's a tight ground and, like, we better believe Tyrone have a score to settle, like, because whatever else they did last year in that All-Ireland semi-final, they just didn't show up and... They would consider themselves a lot of things, but like soft isn't one of them. Do you know what I mean? And that day they were just from from Conor Callan's goal. That was it. They're just the life was drained yeah. out. Of or them alternatively, like. Dublin and Parky Cave would be brilliant as well. Like they will be, they will be highlights. They will be things that are new to a championship that will be kind of being has over the last few years just become a little bit stale from its sheer predictability. You know, so uh, yeah, no, I, I th- like, and I think it'll probably throw up a couple of things we're, we're just not envisaging yet because we haven't lived through it. Um, but now it'll come hot and heavy once it starts. And last thing before we move on to the hurling, don't I get just predictions for the four qualifiers? Cork, Tyrone, Roscommon, Armagh, Leash, Monhill and Fermanacle there? Uh, Tyrone, um, I think Monaghan will come through. Um, the, the toughest one for me is Fermanacle there. Um, I see Connor's point that they're the kind of team that doesn't suit, doesn't suit, uh, won't suit Kildare because they will set up and they, they, you'll have to be very, very patient to break them down and that. Uh, and the other one is... Roscommon Armagh. Roscommon Armagh. I think Roscommon. I think Roscommon will come through that, but I think Armagh will bring them to the wire. I think they will. I think they're, as I said earlier, I think it's a free shot for them and they can just have a cut. Connor? Uh, I go uh, Tyrone, Monaghan, Roscommon and Kildare. We'll turn our thoughts to hurling, lads, and Dunnock, I guess, yesterday. The, the big story in the hurling was Cork winning back-to-back Munster titles for the first time since 2006. And I think it surprised a lot of people that they have put on this unbeaten run down eight games in a row in Munster because... It doesn't feel like a lot of people have them in that maybe top bracket of All Ireland contenders. What are your feelings about them even after their good win yesterday? Well, I think the fact that they've won a Munster title in the new format, I think, just sort of underlines maybe that maybe they have been uh, underrated a little bit to this point. To come through that, that was a snake pit, that round robin uh, format, and to come through it yesterday and to win in the manner they did yesterday, dig themselves out of a hole, I think it was eight points at one stage. Uh, and to win it uh, comfortably in the end, like you have to say, they're completely dominated. And I think from John Conlon's fifth point, and it was a thirty-fourth minute, um, all the way through until the final whistle. I think they outscored them two fifteen to to eight points. I'm looking at Colin Key's uh, report here. Um, so, um, like, they are one hundred percent. Like, you can't ignore their or their credentials anymore. Like, that was a, a very convincing performance. Yeah, because Connor, even though they won in style, as Dunnick said, with a really good second half performance, I think a lot of people were just kind of focusing on Clare's collapse afterwards rather than maybe giving Cork the credit that they possibly deserved. Like, what, what was your takeaway from the game? Was it more kind of a surprise at how Clare folded so completely, or were you, were you impressed by Cork? It was a bit of both. Like, uh, like Clare haven't won a Munster title in 20 years, and, and they might, like, that's probably the best chance they've had in those 20 years, like, to be in that position. Uh, to be so far ahead, to be so dominant in the first half, to have a fella like John Conlon who's doing so much damage, um, and to have all the authority in the game, and to lose it so miserably, like they, like when, when the squeeze came on, like when the when Cork put Colum Spillane back into fullback, um, when they moved Christopher Joyce to six, and he hurled an awful lot of ball there, um, whatever it was, wherever they put the squeeze on Claire, Claire just didn't really seem to have any any. Um, they didn't really seem to have a plan B. Like Peter Duggan, who's you know obviously been a revelation for Clare this year and been you know very very prolific. Like a lot of ball was landing down on top of him. Whereas if they did move, I know it's wise after the event, but if they did move, there was the most obvious switch 
you know, you could possibly make if you move the fella who was winning all the ball in the first half out further so he can be more involved. Um, they would have surely got more off that as well. And but Cork switch has worked as well. It's had Darif Fitzgibbon going to centre forward, made a massive difference. Like his pace is just really, really hard for any defence to deal with. But there's two or three clear defenders there that look like they're going to be under a little bit of pressure for the places that didn't perform well at all. Um, and uh, like as the Sunday game highlighted last night as well, there were like like things like lapses in concentration, players not tracking their men. Like like even Luke Mead's goal, like Luke Mead ran, like this, I think it was a puck out from that Harnady caught, and Luke Mead made twenty meters without anybody, without anybody laying a hand on him. Um, uh, and I think Bill Cooper got two points uncontested as well, one from a puck out, another from a long ball from uh, from Daniel Carney. So, like. You know, I suppose if you're to be looking at it the bright side from a Clare point of view, all this stuff is very easily, well, in theory, it's very easily fixed. You know, it's it's, it's players not tracking their men, it's concentration, it's possibly fatigue in that heat yesterday in Thurles. Um, but it's it's a huge disappointment for Clare. Like, and as much as for for this Cork team, particularly with so many young players in that team, to win two Munster titles in a row, it's an enormous setback for Clare because you know I think a victory for Clare in a Munster title would have catapulted them into that bracket then. But uh, back into Croke Park for the first time yeah, in five years since 2013, yeah, it's crazy. And, and there's still a chance to like you know there's a there's still a chance they're not going to get back into Croke Park. It could mm. be six years since they even played there, you know. And it's you know they didn't get enough out of Tony Kelly, they didn't get enough out of Podge Collins. Um, and you know, at the moment, they're just you know, for all the stuff that they've corrected this year, for all the all the revelations that John Conlon and Peter Duggan in particular up front, like it looks like the fellas who were doing it for them in 2013 are still a small bit off the ball. Yeah, James, you kind of touched on it here one day with us, and he kind of said that look, sort of maybe don't have the depth of panel that so that maybe some of the rest of the contenders do, and I think you saw that that not so much that. They just didn't seem when when things were going against them. They just didn't seem to be able to change it around or bring on someone who'd give them something else or give them something different. Um, and you know that that kind of came through again the other day. Like it just sort of they had Plan A and it was going really well. And then when that started to turn, they were very slow to change themselves. And maybe that was because you know they weren't sure what else they could do. Um, but like to to go from from being so dominant to being so far off the pace was was. Uh, uh, was, was quite extraordinary, really. Yeah, and in the second half, one thing they did that they also did in last year's Munster final was just take these wild shots from, like, you know, 70 metres out when they were doing a lot better working it in short near the goal in the first half. It just seems when they came under a bit of pressure, they just went away maybe from what was working well for them. Yeah, it, it, it seemed to be that way. And I suppose, like, I suppose... John Conlon had a half that probably we I don't I can't remember a half as good as that watching it back like it was absolutely extraordinary stuff everything he touched turned to gold and then when that sort of supply line was cut off for them there wasn't a whole lot of um, okay let's go around this let's do something different let's go through the hands let's run it you know there didn't seem to be any sort of any ch any change there so look it's a, it's a hammer blow for them but like Cork again they just sort of underlined what what they're capable of. Um, I remember Seamus Harnady down in uh, against Tipperary and in the first half that day he was absolutely extraordinary. He just seems to have turned into, he was always very talented, there was no doubt about that, but he just seems to have turned in for, he's just, just no end to him, he's just a hard man, he keeps showing up. Like some of the ball he won yesterday was like really, really, really important, really great leadership from him, you know, so um, I, I, I think they're in a great spot, I think they're in a great spot. And Patrick Corgan as well put in another monstrous performance. Yeah, he's an incredible scorer and it's a little bit like Killian O'Connor in football. Like I know Killian O'Connor's out for the season, but like uh 
you know, he, he at some stage he's going to be the top championship scorer of all time. And Patrick Corgan's another one of these players that, uh, you know, if you were drawn, you're, you're best in the country team, you know, top 15. I'm not sure too many people will put him in there, but he's just, like, he's an extraordinary scorer. Uh, he's deadly accurate. Um, and at the moment, I think the way Cork play kind of complements his game. You know, he has pace around him. He has in Conor Lahan and Seamus Harnady two really, really good ball winners. And I think uh, as good as Horgan is, I think uh, how well he's playing is probably um, symptomatic of what a good balance Cork have in their attack at the moment. He's very consistent as well, in fairness to him. Like year on year, even if things weren't going well for Cork, he was still coming out with you know, 11 points, 12 points, 9 points. You know, he con consistently did it. I can't remember him. He he plays to a level he nearly, you can guarantee that he'll deliver to that level every week. And one thing that Connor mentioned earlier, Dunica, was the switches that the Cork management made that worked. And I think John Myler should get a lot of credit because when they did change management team, they lost Kieran Kingston, they lost Dermot O'Sullivan. There was a really good feel-good factor around the team last year, you know, that great photo of them embracing it. I think it was for the Munster final. Yeah. And there was a worry that maybe all the momentum will be gone with this change in management. But to be fair to John Myler, it was an unusual round-robin in that they were, some games they were ahead and pegged back and then vice versa. But they've ended up in the same place with another Munster title. So he should get a lot of credit, shouldn't he? Yeah, he should. But I, I did a piece with Kieran Kingston not too long ago and like, he made the point that these fellas who come on the scene last year, like Shane Kingston and Luke Mead and these other guys, they didn't appear out of nowhere. They had been working away in the background. The more than name it, as Morris, he's made that point about the young Kerry footballers at the minute, that they are not. They have been in and around this. It's not brand new to them. They're not just coming into the thing and haven't been exposed to it before. So, like, these lads are, there's been two or three hard years work put into these fellas. So, yeah, no, Cork have managed to transition very well because I suppose the fact that John Myler was in there as a selector last year, he was Mondo 21 manager last year, so he knows exactly what he's dealing with with these young fellas. He wasn't coming into a room full of characters that he didn't know in terms of what they'd give him. So, yeah, look, they, they could have lost an awful lot of momentum when, when they lost Kieran Kingston as manager. They didn't. They've kept it going and, uh, yeah, they look to be in a great spot. And, Conor, for me, they're a real momentum team. Like, when they get a run like this, they're very hard to beat, but now they have a four-week break till the All-Ireland semi-final. I would think it was a similar break last year and they did get caught by Waterford. Would you be worried that something similar could happen this time? Yeah, I think it was even longer last year. I think it might have even been as long as six weeks. Um, and I think the shorter, the better. There's no doubt about that. You could see the teams that played well, um, even in the round-robin stages, did consistently play well. Like, I mean, they got momentum from it. And I think momentum is a... F you know, it, it, for whatever fatigue and injuries you pick up, you'd, you'd gladly offset that against, you know, what Cork are facing into now, which is a just a really, really long break. Um, I, can't, I can't remember what the stat is, but the Munster champions getting to an All-Ireland final or winning All-Irelands over the last 10 yeah, years. Record's poor, it's it? absolutely brutal. And I would imagine that that's... Uh, I would imagine that that is pretty much aligned to the fact that they have um, such a long break. Like, the, you know, the Leinster, there's no comparable... Um, sort of stat in Leinster because Kilkenny were winning Leinster every year but they were also by far and away the b but there's a couple of times particularly that Limerick game in 14 um, where even when Kilkenny were at their pomp it looked like they were, they were going to be at their most or they, it, when you look back on the season the, the time when they looked like they were most likely to be beaten was in an All-Ireland semi-final and I imagine that would have something to do for it because you know even talking to some footballers now who have played over the last few years, some Dublin footballers to tell you that the three-week break after a Leinster 
final into an All Ireland quarter final and the same. It's just a week too long, um, and you're you're talking about a four week break from winning Munster. So, and as much as you can try and be productive, you know, I, I think there's still an element of boredom that kind of gets into these things. You know, there's only so much that like they won't know who they're going to play for another two weeks either. So it's not as if they can kind of hone in on some game plan and perfect it. So um, yeah, no, it's a test for management because not not it it, it has tripped teams up in the past and, and it has the potential to do so here again. Yeah, can go back to the fact that they haven't been. They haven't played well in Crow Park and either the last couple of visits. You know they haven't delivered. Um, so like if if the as Connor says it is a long break, but if you needed to zero in on something, it's that we've gone to the where big games are won and big titles are won and we haven't done it. So maybe that might be something for them to just figure on now for the next maybe fortnight or so before they to find out who who it is they have. And for their opponents or, or their opponents of the weekend, Clare, it looks like they'll probably be playing Wexford. If they win their preliminary quarter final, um, so I don't want to be too presumptuous, but we'll just operate on the assumption that they probably will win that. A Davy Fitzgerald Derby, Clare versus Wexford, will be pretty tasty. Yeah, uh, will be pretty tasty. I think like Wexford, you know, they did an awful lot right in the group stages um, and still didn't manage to make a Leinster final. And I think they'll be stung by the manner in which Kilkenny caught them uh, that day, where they seven or eight points up that day and they were caught and. Um, I mean, I suppose David Fitzgerald always adds a couple of layers of intrigue to any game, and you probably have double that now because of the two teams there. I honestly have no idea who's going to win that game. I think Clare are probably the better team, the more rounded team, but um, it really depends on how yesterday affects them because, you know, and as much as you know the sun was going to rise this morning for both teams and they were both going to still be in the championship, I think for Clare in particular, of all the teams in Munster, I think the Munster title was an end in itself mm. uh, given how long it's been since they've won one yeah, and how poor their record has been in Munster since uh, 2013 so like Anthony Daly was the last Clare captain to, to lift the Munster Cup so it kind of goes to show you like there's no way that they can there's no way that that won't affect them but I suppose it's it's how adversely it affects them is, is the key for it. There's always an unpredictability to Clare isn't there like you know and it's it's good and bad because they can catch fire and they can be brilliant and then the next day they can go out and they can be sort of marked absent from the thing whereas under Davy Fitzgerald Wexford have been reasonably consistent you know you'll always get you know what you'll get you know what way they'll play you know how they'll set up um, and they'll always deliver a performance to a certain extent. So, yeah, like Clare would need to be on that day to get The, the big worry with Clare is that when they lose their way in games, and even saw it during the league, saw it during the, the Munster Championship, when they lose their way in games, they find it very hard to correct it, whatever that is. Um, I don't know whether that comes down to, you know, management making switches or leaders on the pitch making that call themselves. But, um, like, when they look lost in games, and I don't want to be too wise after the event because just because of yesterday's result but it has been symptomatic of them in the past that when they when they lose their way in games they find it very hard to kind of recalibrate and actually you know come back at a team do you think fo facing Davy Fitz or own manager will maybe focus their minds a bit more like maybe you know if they were playing a different team perhaps the trauma of yesterday's collapse could maybe seep in a little bit more whereas yeah. now they, they really won't want to lose to their own manager it, it, it can work both ways that sort of thing because it brings a, it bring a new focus on them and considering that basically they went into a room and when they came out of it that, those bunch of players Davy wasn't their manager anymore you know so um that uh you know that that can that can bring its own pressure as well and it's about how to deal with that and the fact they'll that they'll have the, a week as well like they'll have that week being reminded every day in the media and from people how poor their record has been um, or since they won the All-Ireland under Davy in 2013 like this it will turn into a bit of a circus there's no doubt about that and like it's not it's not guaranteed how well or otherwise they handle all that sort of all that sort of attention well, we'll move on to the Leinster final. Conor, I know you were there in Croke Park yesterday. Uh, after watching the Clare Cork game, which was a very entertaining game, the first half was a 
bit of a slog. Kind of caught a bit of fire towards the end, but overall, I think people were maybe left thinking that the standard wasn't quite as high as the Munster final, even though Galway were involved, who were probably by far and away the favourites for the All-Ireland. Yeah, it was a weird, weird game because uh, particularly over the last couple of years, we spent a lot of time watching and analysing and digesting how teams set up um, with an increasing use of sweepers or deep line players uh, in matches. And yesterday we actually had two teams that lined out in the 15 traditional positions. Now, you know, in both cases, the midfielders would drop deep, but not to any really serious extent. Uh, and particularly when goalkeepers had the wind, whichever goalkeeper whose back was the hill 16 poking towards the canal end, they went along with every single puck out. Uh, and even Kilkenny's tactics, like, you know, it was no secret that Dahi Burke and Garold McInerney are the, you know, the kind of the cornerstones of of uh, Galway's defensive solidity. And Cody just went and put Walter Walsh full forward on Dahi Burke and put TJ Reid on Garold McInerney and poked every single puck out down on top of them. It was real kind of hammer to hammer stuff. It was a great battle between Walter Walsh and Dahi Burke. It was, and I think Burke won it. Like he's given away inches and stones there. Um, um, like McInerney, the amount of puck outs that actually dropped underneath his head to have gotten out with what he did um, in terms of I think TJ only got two points from play which is which is fair going like for, for Garo McInerney so um, yeah like it, it was very strange that for a game that technically should have been so open um, that it never it always felt a bit more claustrophobic or like it was very intense and it was very physical and it wasn't for a lack of effort or energy but um, I suppose it just lacked that one moment for the game to kind of spark um, I thought there was some very poor wide oh. Kilkenny in particular in the first half when they were in the ascendancy some of the young players kind of snatched at a couple of efforts that you'd expect them to, to uh, convert Joe Canning as well like yeah. he a couple of wides as well like then it was it was really strange sort of game for, for when there was so, something on offer like a Leinster title um, it was a very bizarre game and I can't I can't really explain it other than to say maybe maybe these two teams maybe think that they might meet again later in the year at some stage so and they've done it already so like we're we're um, we're looking at the possibility of them playing maybe four times <laughs> in the championship now. So obviously in the group stage they played yesterday, they the replay now in sample and uh, there's a good chance that, uh, well, there's a chance they'll meet again. Would you have expected more from Galway? I think a lot of people were expecting them to maybe make a statement that, that yeah, they've arrived. Yeah, I think Michal Dunne, who sort of touched on that afterwards, he said, look, you know, this, our fellas are human. Like, you know what I mean? Just because I think since the league last year, essentially they, they haven't put a foot wrong in a game of, of real significance, you can say. And I think we just expected them to sort of stride on through after, was it, was it seven, eight points in, in Galway? And sort of stride on through and, and, and maybe do something similar again. And when they didn't, all of a sudden the, the mood music around them has changed a little bit. And we're also talking about, geez, well, maybe Kilkenny are a lot better than they showed that day and when they met in, in Salt Hill because it was their was a third game in, in 14 days at that stage. So, um, yeah, look, I think Kilkenny, like, they must come out of it a lot happier than Galway did because I think it was, was it six of them were playing in Crow Park for the first time in, in, champ in senior championship hurling? Um, uh, and then you had Richie Hogan coming on at the end as well. Looked sharp and when he came on, I thought. Yeah, and if like if he gets another week or another couple of weeks, and like he could still have a big say in this championship as well. Yeah, I guess for both teams, but maybe in particular for the whoever wins next weekend, the replay will probably almost be a good thing because as we've talked about with Cork, the four week break it'll just be a three week gap, which is a you know a lot easier to deal with. Well, uh, the more games for Kilkenny, I think, uh, will will benefit them than Galway. Like that Galway team is nearly set in stone now at this stage. Like the the sixth forward spot that Niall Burke took yesterday and took very well because he, he kind of pinched four points 
um, is the one that's usually up for grabs. But other than that, it's a really, really settled team. But if you look at the Kilkenny team, it now seems an awful lot more settled because a lot of their young, their young players went really well yesterday. I thought James Marr was absolutely brilliant in midfield. He, he linked the ball really well. He struck the ball really well under pressure and he added a lot of pace there. Um, but like Paddy Deegan at cornerback, Joey Holden, a wing-back, and obviously the two lads down the spine who were excellent as well, Killian Buckley and Podrick Walsh, they were all brilliant. Um, and, uh, like, a lot of... The, the a lot was of played in a certain way, but wasn't it? It was, but, like, it was like it was a defender's day, you know? Yeah. There was an awful lot of yeah. high hanging, hanging balls, balls that yeah. it's an awful lot easier for a defender. And uh, like great on television for all those catches. Some of them were brilliant. Like, Paddy, Paddy Deegan caught one incredible ball. Like, he must have been... must have been a few feet off the air when he caught it. But, like, the Kilkenny backs weren't just winning ball in the air. They were winning them off Galway forwards that they were that they were a couple of inches smaller then because that Galway forward line is is really really huge. Um, so I just I wonder whether if it was an All Ireland final yesterday like that, whether there might have been a bit more of a nuance to the kind of the tactical setups of both teams because it seemed to be fairly um, but a bit fairly um, straightforward. But like even up front, Billy Ryan, who I don't know that he even played any league hurling for Kilkenny this year. He played for the under twenty ones last week. Um, the big Galway. He got out in front of his man. He, he scored two points. I think he had three wides. But um, like it's a funny thing to say about Kilkenny, given how strong their forward line has been. Um, you know, in their pomp, but they've actually struggled to find two consistent scoring inside forwards. Um, really, since I suppose since Richie Power has retired, like to play either side of Walter Walsh. Um, but Billy Ryan looks like he's a fellow with loads of potential, like as bold as brass, and and really kind of like a good touch and well able to win ball. So, yeah, I think for, for Brian Cody, he'd be an awful lot more secure in knowing what his full his best strength team is and knowing that the players, um, particularly in the defensive positions, are able to compete uh, in one-on-one battles with the best forward line in the country. Yeah, Dunning, because I guess after the league final, we thought that these young players were really far along and then the Salt Hill game, we probably went too far the other way and now... It's probably a f- more fair reflection of where they're at yesterday. Yeah, and and as Connor says, the more games they get, the better. So like these fellas are only going to improve for getting exposed to teams like Galway, thinking the way around it. And I think was it the last three points of the game they got as well, sort of a little bit of steel about them as well. Um, so like I th- I think the the lads were saying that Brian Cody cracked a little joke about Michael Bublé after the game. So that w- might show you that he was a little <laughs> he w- he was quite pleased with the fact that about what he'd seen from from his team. So look. Um, Kilkenny are uh, uh, like of course nobody wrote them off like ne- never let that be said and if they do go on and win the thing this year never don't, don't listen to anyone who tells you that they've never been written off but yeah, um, a couple of people did it very early in the year who did uh, Michael Dignan did it and he was he was had to kind of roll back a small bit there was a couple of I think Eamon Sweeney wrote the piece yeah. about yeah, Cody Sweeney being well, yeah. moved into director of sorry you, you're correct yeah, yeah you're correct so, so um, Brandy goes crazy if you ever <laughs> mentioned <it to> <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah look I, I, I don't think that was that opinion was very much in the minority then. Oh, but there's still a good bit of winning in All Ireland, I think. I don't know. Maybe well, I'm I, st- I, I, I would not be remotely surprised if the All Ireland final was doing Galway and Kilkenny. I really? still, they still have Galway down as All Ireland favourites. You have to like they haven't they haven't ma- lost a match of any significance in the past two years. Um, notwithstanding the one B promotion game this year to Limerick, who like I don't think Galway's heart was really in the league. So like Galway have to be the favourites, but like on the basis of what they did yesterday. Um, if you can start a team with Walter Walsh, TJ Reid, and Richie Hogan in the forwards, well, Hogan, I don't know. Well, he like physically, he doesn't like he's been battling a bad back injury, um, and he started the was it the he started the Wexford game, but didn't play. 
No, he, he started one of the games and then didn't play yesterday. Yeah, he started a Wexford game but didn't play yesterday. The same with Colin Fennelly. So you wonder about Richie Hogan, just how yeah, kind of physically yeah, yeah. able but he is. It, it, like it could be could come down to something like that. Yeah, but like if you look at the two passes that he hit, the one for Enda Morrissey, that was yeah. to equalise. And then these, he hit another one to Walter Walsh that would have been for the winner. And by the time Walsh came down, he was actually had two men around him. But what was noticeable about those, those two passes was that Prior to that, nobody had actually played any of those crossfield balls in the game. It was all very much head up, look forward, hurling, and deliver the ball long into your forward. So, um, like like Hogan was able to bring a bit more, bit more subtlety and a bit of kind of peripheral vision to the play when he came in. But like if he's anywhere near fit, he like he definitely starts. He's your, he's probably your centre forward, or he's he's a he's a midfielder that's just got license to play the ball because, um, like his creativity is is, is really immense. And you have Limerick lurking for whoever loses that replay next weekend. Yeah, at times Limerick look really, really impressive, haven't they? Like, and it's some monstrous men as well. That's the other thing about them. Like, we talk about Galway size. Like some of the Limerick lads look like, you know, they've been preparing in away in the background for this for a long time and just come out with some huge, huge men. So yeah, look, uh, Limerick, um, Limerick will have a, a big say in this as well. It's 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 kind of the fact that Galway didn't go and win convincingly yesterday. Sort of like. Has us. I think we were here a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about is it Galway and then the rest. Mm. I think now the, the the weekend result between Cork delivering uh, a half and a little over a half of absolutely extraordinary hurling to dismantle Clare, uh, Galway not being at their best, Kilkenny seemingly on the up with every game they get. I think all of a sudden it's sort of it's a more level playing field than it was maybe and last Saturday morning. Well, I think for Galway or Kilkenny, if if they happen to win the replay, is that now the now the gap between their final game and the All-Ireland series if your provincial champions narrows by a week um, because you're going to a replay next weekend and three weeks doesn't seem like like too too long a stretch to be able to manage it so I think both teams um, I think both teams will, will come on a good bit from having played the game next week and just to finish up Dunnock a great result for Carlo yesterday winning the Joe McDonough yeah and I was going to bring that up because in case we'd be accused of uh, <laughs> accused of ignoring the, the, the other competitions uh, yeah it seems to be a great win and and uh, uh, Colin Bonner was quite bold in, in the paper this morning just saying that look we're, we're not we're not packing it in here they have Limerick coming up so look I, I think if I was at the, the media event for, for the McDonough the ring record uh, the, uh, and Mara competitions and all the hurlers I interviewed there says you know what we think to have the competition and the balance of it and, and have it right now with the extra tier because some of them felt that there was too big a jump for counties between the other ones so um, yeah I think like the GA got a good bashing last week but uh, I think this is one thing that they seem to have got right according to the, the, the players who were probably the most important stakeholders in the team Any chance of an upset in one of these preliminary quarterfinals? Ah, you wouldn't think so. No, you wouldn't think so. But I think it's it's I think it's only right that the that the, I think it's a. I remember when the championship was redrawn and we were trying to decipher what exactly was happening and who was playing who and when they were playing it. And you were thinking somebody's come up from a lower tier competition to essentially play at the facto All Ireland, you know, last or whatever the round before quarter final is, and it didn't seem like a good idea. But it, like now, and uh, I mean, albeit I haven't didn't see it but on the strength of the highlights I think both Westmead and Carlo um, like the, the, they, they've had a serious programme of games where it looks like they've come on a long way um, like in Colin Bonner and Mick Ryan they've got two two managers who have managed the at, level, at yeah. the very very top yeah. level as well so uh, like I think it'll have to do it in the world good and just on Carlo as well like I, I you know people say well 
it's going to be the same thing. The same team will be relegated next year out of Leinster and everything else. But like I can't see Carlo doing any worse than Offaly did this year, you know. So um, again, they'll 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 come on massively for for playing in that competition next year. I think though that that batch of teams who are kind of at the top end of the Joe McDonough are the important teams for hurling in the big picture. So I think if you can if you could get them up and get them to a level where they can go into a preliminary quarter final like they're going to do next week and and compete. Uh, I think that's those are the counties you need to, along with Offaly, those counties ranked from maybe 11th, 12th to maybe 14th, 15th in the country. I think those are the ones that you probably need to be ploughing your resources and putting your concentration into because the more competitive counties we have, the better, and, and I think they're the ones you need to be concentrating on. Donegal Connor, thanks so much for joining me. That's all we have time for the throw on this week. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, we'll have a podcast with Joe Brawley later in the week that you can listen to. So you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and goodbye.